I'm Katie Sewell, and this is A Bittersweet Moment with Tiffany Parks. Welcome to The Bittersweet Life. I'm Tiffany Parks, and this is your midweek bittersweet moment. Today, I'm going to be taking you somewhere incredibly special. Now, I know I say that a lot. I've taken you to the perspective of Boromini, to the Tempietto of Bramante, to the delicious little owl house in Villa Torlonia. And these are all places that are generally skipped by most tourists. And yes, they are wonderful and very special. But the place I'm going to talk to you about today is a little bit rarer than that. I want to talk to you about the Casino dell'Aurora, or the Villa Aurora, which is part of what was once Villa Ludovisi. And the reason it's so rare and so special is because it's still owned by a private family. It's very difficult to see, but you can see it. And I saw it just a few weeks ago, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about it and how you can see it when you find yourself in Rome. So first of all, a word about Villa Ludovisi. You've probably heard of Villa Borghese, maybe Villa Pamphili. These were not just homes. These were homes with enormous gardens. That was the case back in the day. The wealthy families would have homes just outside the center of Rome. Today, this is considered still the center of Rome. But back then, the hillside areas on the sort of edges of the of the city were considered to be the suburbs. And this is where wealthy families would buy property. They would build their summer home, their villa, and it would be a little bit cooler there in the summer. And the wealthy Ludovisi family did the same. Now, their villa was purchased from a number of different pre-existing vineyards that existed where you can now find the famous street Via Veneto. If you're not familiar with this street, it's considered the most glamorous street in Rome. It's where the Dolce Vita took place, where all the wealthy and famous stars of the 1950s and 60s Italian cinema would spend their time. Still pretty glam, although a little bit touristy now. It's a beautiful sloping, curving street, and it's surrounded by very important avenues where you can find many of the embassies and grand hotels of Rome. But it wasn't always there. Back in the 16th century, Cardinal Ludovico Ludovisi, who was the nephew of the Pope at the time, purchased some land that belonged to two or three different families to create Villa Ludovisi. The area actually was had already been, in ancient times, the site of a garden, the gardens, the Orti Salustiani, the Gardens of Sallust. And so there were many ancient artifacts and sculptures that littered the area that had just been left behind. So when Ludovico Ludovisi began to build the villa, he incorporated these ancient works, he excavated them, had them restored by sculptors of the day, and had them included in the grounds and in the homes that he built. Now, there was already a building on the site that had existed already that was about 100 years old, and that is the place that I visited and that I'm talking about today, which is the Casino dell'Aurora, or the Villa Aurora. This had been built on the land that belonged at the time to Cardinal Francesco del Monte, who's kind of a favorite character of mine because he was Caravaggio's greatest patron. And he features heavily in my book, by the way. 
But um, so this little, little, I mean, it's huge by today's standards, but back in the day, it was actually the hunting lodge of the villa and it was not the main residence, but it was nevertheless frescoed and decorated by many, many great artists. Before I tell you a little bit about the details of the casino, I do want to mention the sort of tragic end to Villa Ludovisi, because if you've never heard of it, unlike Villa Borghese or Villa Pamfili, there's a reason you haven't heard of it, and that is that it was sadly destroyed. Otherwise, we wouldn't have Via Veneto. In the late 1800s, the family had fallen on hard times, and they sold it to be divided up into separate lots, and eventually Via Veneto was built and the surrounding area. Uh, This was considered to be a great tragedy. Many artists and writers of the day protested this. I should mention that some great writers of the past, of the 19th century, wrote about Villa Ludovisi. Famously, Stendhal said that it was the most beautiful garden in the world. And Henry James, a little bit later, said that certainly there is nothing better in Rome, or perhaps nothing so beautiful. And actually, these gardens were the inspiration for the gardens of Versailles. And it was a very large area. It covered 30 hectares, and it stretched basically from Villa Borghese all the way down to Piazza Barberini. So sadly, it was was destroyed, but some small miracle, the Casino dell'Aurora was spared. And the family, the Ludovisi family, now the Boncompagni Ludovisi family, they have stayed in that home, and they still live there to this day. So I was lucky enough to be able to visit the Villa Aurora, and my guide was actually the woman who still lives there today, the Princess Rita. She is a very fascinating American woman who I'm going to try to interview on the show, so I won't talk too much about her today, but she did marry Prince Niccolo Ludovisi back in 2008, and uh, he has sadly passed away last year, but she still lives there and loves giving tours of her home and talking about the art inside and about the history of the family. So it's kind of incredible to visit this place because if you've ever driven around the area around Via Veneto, it's very trafficy. It's very busy. There's lots of expensive restaurants and shops and hotels. It's impossible to find a place to park. And it's full of places where you know you kind of almost don't even want to walk into because you can't even imagine how much they cost just to sit and have a coffee. So I drive up to the gates of this villa. They had been expecting me and they just opened the gates. There wasn't even a person there, so I guess they must have seen me remotely. And it's kind of one of those things where you kind of feel like you're having a little Hollywood moment because there's people walking around and people double parked and tour buses and they're kind of like, why does this woman get to drive in to this villa? And I drove in and it's a sloping entryway because the villa is up higher than the street level. It's sort of terraced. So you have to kind of drive up this slope. There's still trees. There's Roman pine trees. There's cypress trees, all sorts of trees. There's statues dotted here and there. And I drove around. I had really no idea where I was going. Eventually parked and I walk up towards the house and there is Princess Rita standing in the doorway waiting for me with our mutual friend. Uh, which is how I got to visit. Very charming person. And again, as I said, she was so enthusiastic about the place that that was almost the best part of it. So I walked inside and there, right over my head, is a fresco by Federico Zuccari, one of the great masters of the Mannerist art movement. Incredibly detailed, 
incredibly interesting work of art with strange little grotesque faces hidden in it that you can see from all different sorts of angles. This is the least, literally one of the least important things in the villa. We walk into the next room and we find the ceiling fresco that the villa was named for, namely the Aurora or the Dawn. So on the ceiling of this second room is a fresco by Guercino that uses optical illusions. There are no columns, there are no pilasters, but they've been painted into the fresco. And depending on where you stand in the room, some of these pillars seem perfectly straight and sometimes they seem curved. This was not just the work of Guercino, he painted the central part where you can see the representation of the dawn riding her chariot, pulling the sun into the day. And there are lots of esoteric figures on the ceiling as well with lots of different symbolism. But the outer area, the pilasters and the pillars that were painted to give it this optical illusion were done by Agostino Tassi. He's most famous for being the attacker of Artemisia Gentileschi, if you know the story. We went on through the house. There were many other works of art, Pomerancio, Domenichino, Viola. Incredible how many important artists, particularly of the Mannerist period, had worked there in this, what, as I said, was just supposedly a hunting lodge. If you know anything about me, you know I love Caravaggio. Katie and I both share a passion for Caravaggio, and we both have the ambition to one day see every single work of art by Caravaggio. Now, if you live in Rome you get a great head start because the vast majority of his works are in Rome. And of course, you can take advantage of exhibits as well to see paintings from small towns that you might not otherwise visit. But there's one work that he did for his patron, Cardinal Francesco del Monte, in what was at the time del Monte's alchemist studio because he was a practitioner of alchemy. So I knew there was a painting there. I'd heard of it. But this one was one of those that is kind of hard to see. It's kind of the one on my list. Obviously, there was more than one that I haven't seen. But it's that one that I'm like, when am I ever going to see this painting? Because it's in this private home. But on the other hand, it's also incredibly exciting because it's the only painting Caravaggio ever did on plaster. Not a fresco, by the way, because it was done with oil paint. And so I was very excited to see this fresco. And I I had a feeling it would probably be the very last sight on the tour just because of its importance. So I was waiting and I was waiting, enjoying all the other works of art. Couldn't wait to see, finally, the Caravaggio. So we go to the, the upper floor where the rooms are not quite as important, but nevertheless extremely charming because they look very lived in. There's bookshelves full of books sort of placed haphazardly. There are unframed canvases sort of lying around against the walls. The princess's is explaining the stories behind the portraits of different family members. There's also some more modern works of art by Chagall and Picasso that are just sort of there, just hung in these sort of unassuming places. And finally, she starts talking about the Caravaggio painting, and she leads us into this very small room, really no bigger than a room that you could find in a normal home, even on the small side, a small bedroom. There seemed nothing important about it. There was nothing on the walls. There were just a few doors leading off. And she stopped by one of these large wooden doors. And I assumed that the painting was in the next room and she was sort of just waiting to take us in there for effect. She starts to talk about the history of the painting and when Caravaggio painted it. And all of a sudden I realized she was talking about it as if we were in the presence of it. And I looked up and I almost fell over because it was right over my head. The fresco is in this very small and unassuming room. And it is incredible. It is nothing like the reproductions of it that you can find on the internet. 
and that of course I will post to our social media sites the day that this airs. Incredible. I always thought when I looked at this, it doesn't really look like Caravaggio, but seeing it live, there's no mistaking it. Not only do the figures have his face, there's three figures in the work. It's called Jupiter, Pluto, and Neptune. All three of these gods have the, fa- the facial features of Caravaggio, but his style is so remarkably clear that it's really not at all in doubt that this is his work. And in fact, it was documented at the time by Caravaggio's contemporary biographers, but it had been painted over, it had been plastered over, and it wasn't discovered until the 1960s when they were restoring, I suppose that was the, the same Ludovisi family, restoring the, hunt, the hunting lodge. They found Caravaggio's painting underneath this layer of plaster. I highly recommend a visit to this place. It's one of those places where if it's your first visit to Rome, you're probably not going to make it. And you should not feel bad about that. If it's your second visit to Rome, likewise. But if you start coming back and coming back, like so many people who love Rome do, who just can't stay away, and you have a little bit of extra time, I suggest a visit to the Casino dell'Aurora or the Villa Aurora. I will put the instructions on how to visit in our show notes. Fortunately, unless you are a friend of the princess or a friend of a friend of the princess, you do have to have 15 people to go. But, you know, you might be able to scrabble. Scrabble? Is that a word? (laughs) I think it is. (laughs) Scrabble's 15 people together. I'm just going to say it's a word. To be able to visit this incredible place. And I highly recommend that you do. There's also supposedly a sculpture by Michelangelo on the grounds. But I have to tell you, I don't think it is by Michelangelo. I'm very doubtful. But, you know, I'm not an art historian, so you can make that decision for yourself. And there's also, of course, dozens. There used to be 450, but now there are dozens of ancient works of sculpture and statuary, from busts of Julius Caesar to statues of Dacians to the Tauroctony images that were part of the Mitra iconography, the ancient Mitra religion all dating back to the first and second centuries AD and the first century BC. So some incredible works of art. Really don't miss it if you are privileged enough to have a good deal of time in Rome. And I hope you enjoyed this bittersweet moment. Join us again. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And if you love it, Leave us a good review and tell all of your friends about us. Also, if you have an idea for a bittersweet moment, send it to us by email or voice memo. We're at bittersweetlife at mail.com or find us using the contact page at thebittersweetlife.net.